0: Third straight of this trip, six to one to the rain for the Indians. One run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. It's a
1: goddamn one. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history. I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I
0: would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they wanted asking me baseball going into the high- Baseball sport that have gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sports.
1: Let me start by telling you this.
0: I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team
1: stops.
0: Well, he he is he's out. Yes, that is out. out. Look at look at this. That is out. And uh, Damon Mads. I don't want to hear an argument about other sports.
1: Hello. Cleaner than any baseball message that was ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. So, from the CSB Studios in Hasper Heights, New Jersey, this is Pass Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPiele.com on the MTR Radio Network. I'm here with John Mayo, and right now I'm welcoming in. Uh, host of SiriusXM's home plate, this is Casey Stern. Casey, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Casey, you there, buddy? Yes. Hey, thanks for having a couple minutes, man. Sorry about the little delay, dude. He's called us right as we are bringing the show back from break. Yeah, no problem, bud. Hey, uh, listen, man, how's, every- how's everything going with Sirius, man? Good, good, going well. Nice man hear hear you're a big time Met fan like myself, huh? Yes,
0: yes, big time. I've been my whole
1: life. so how far back do you go with them? How far have you followed them?
0: she's uh nineteen
1: eighty four nice man yeah i'm actually I'm actually a little bit younger than you. I actually just missed eighty six so uh, tell tell me a little bit about your first recollections of the Mets and how you really started to become a fan.
0: Oh, geez. Uh, going as a uh, young kid to Shea Stadium and, uh, sitting there and, and watching, you know, Doc come up and straw and some of the, you know, the young athletes they had at the time when Davy and the, the bad boys were on the ball club. I mean, you know, for me, the packed house at, at, uh, Shea Stadium was nothing like anything else because the stadium was built almost so poorly and was so old that, you know, really for the last 20 years of it, you could feel it shake in a big spot. And for me, My whole family are all Yankee fans for the most part, so I like to rebel. Uh, I did it probably from the word go. It's very easy to win all the time. Mets fans have to go through the heartache and the bitterness, and it makes the experience, uh, even though it's rare, and, and appreciate the victory when it does come like we saw in 86. We got in the World Series with Piazza and company, like we saw with the division title with David and just a few years ago.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And and, I, and my my remembrance is that I pretty much took over in about 1986. I was a little boy then, about five, six years old. And, you know, I, I pretty much lived off of the mystique of what had happened in 86 and the way that team came together. Um, how about that team as far as it goes through to the late 80s and actually ends up, you know, ends up kind of uh, falling off the face of the earth a little bit? Um, what was your first signs of that team really not – Becoming the perennial championship team that it was in '86, and of course taking a division again in '88.
0: Well, I think the, you know the things that took place off the field had a lot to do with that. I mean, unfortunately, when you go back to that time, and I mean it was a long time ago, but when you go back to what happened in the '80s, a lot of that was disappointment and you know guys not coming to fruition, and not with the situation we just had in baseball with the Kerry Wood who retires who. Comes out of the gates and has the 20 strikeout game wins rookie of the year and looks like a Cy Young. You know, you've got Strasburg now. Well, all those guys trail what Doc was supposed to be. And because of some issues off the field, obviously the focus was never totally on baseball where it should have been between the lines. Strawberry, the same thing. Uh, you know, the, the team broke up. I mean, free agency was different back then, so it wasn't for necessarily the same reasons it is now. It wasn't like you could sit there and look at uh, Jeff Wilpon or Fred or whoever the Met fan wants to blame at this point for not keeping Jose Reyes or not locking up a David Wright to this point. It was different. At that point, it was really more about the guys who had not come through and not come through because of issues off the field.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, the situations with Gooden and, of course, later on with Strawberry, I actually think that, you know, letting Strawberry go to the Dodgers was really the turning point in that franchise, kind of going south. I think the team, you know, had, I, I believe, had they signed Strawberry, I think, number one, Straw would not have, you know, had all the issues that he had with the Dodgers and getting seriously into the cocaine and stuff. And I do think that they still would hold a good part of that nucleus and perhaps could have competed for a couple more years. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, when I look back at that time period, I'm past looking at it as a disappointment. We know what it was and what it wasn't. You know, you remember in 88, all the games the Mets won against the Dodgers during that regular season. It was supposed to be easy breezy when they got to oral and the boys in the postseason. It didn't end up that way. For me, I'm just well past it. I mean, when I look back, I try and look at the good moments, 1986, the best season as a Mets fan. I mean, forget about being in this business now the last 10 years, but as a Mets fan, the best year that I experienced, so... You know, I look at it more positively than anything else, especially with this being the year that the kid passed on. But yeah, I mean, there were a lot of different turns that probably could have gone the other way and maybe led towards the Mets having more of a sustained success than what we got from them.
1: No, absolutely, man. And this is uh, Casey Stern from XM Serious Radio. This is John Pielli passball Show. I'm joined in studio by John Mayo. John.
2: Hey, Casey. How are you doing tonight? Um... Oh, I'm just a, what's going on? Uh, I'm just a guest on a John show. I'm kind of new to this whole thing, so I really look forward. Wanted to ask you this question. Um, I know you remember last year on the very last uh, Jose Reyes at bat when he got, uh, yep. I believe he got on base. Now, when he left the game after after that getting getting on the first base, what was your opinion on Jose Reyes? And just uh, just one question and two. The second question is if you can answer it. Do you feel that Jose Reyes betrayed the Mets? What are your thoughts?
0: Well, you know, I'll start with the first one. I mean, you know, Jose's career for the most part of the New York Metropolitan was as good as you could get. From a standpoint of even saying the injuries, all the stolen bases and the performances he gave, I mean, most Mets fans like to look back at what he didn't do. When you look at what he did do, you had all-star teams, you had play that was gold glove caliber at times at shortstop, And you had the best leadoff hitter probably in the game last season. As far as spoiling it with what you got at the end of the year, I do think that you did. I didn't like exactly the way that that was handled. I thought when you look at the way that Reyes handled that situation, this was not, to me, a team story. It was more of an individual thing. This is a guy who wanted to... Go ahead and win the batting title. He wasn't thinking about winning ball games. He was a me thing. I think a lot of it stems from the way they handled him with the contract. Remember, the Mets decided not to before last season go and extend Jose Reyes because he didn't fit in with his on base percentage. Believe it or not, in Sandy Alderson's plan, well, the guy went in, went on to hit 330, was the best leadoff hitter in Major League Baseball, and the team had a reason to go to the ballpark. And really, more than anything else, it was the excitement about Jose. They should have kept him. So I think he was pissed off. I think a lot of that led to him being a me guy instead of a team guy. I don't think Jose, in fact, I know Jose didn't portray this team at all. Mets are very good PR spin people. From a national standpoint, people in baseball like myself who covered this and were there talking to everybody, know the Mets never wanted Jose Reyes. They never offered Jose Reyes a contract. They never were serious about bringing him back. What they did was they did just enough for the Mets fan to believe that the Mets did anything and everything to bring Jose Reyes back, but he was greedy, not the case. Jose Reyes never really had an opportunity to remain in new York
1: Met yeah, even when it came down to it saying, you know Sandy Alderson tried to put a spin on it saying that you know they they knew where they you know w- whether it was him and an agent and stuff knew where they were you know contractually, but you know the bottom line is you didn't make the guy an offer, and I think you know that tells a story like you had just said. You know the Mets didn't want him back, and you know they've moved on from there. So with that, you know Reuben Tejada is a starting shortstop now. Fortunately, he's hurt right now. What's your opinions of Tejada, and what kind of player do you think Tejada could be over the next four or five years?
0: You know, I, I think he's a, he's a nice player. I mean, I, you know, TC is is a great guy, but you know Terry told me at one of the meetings that twenty nine other teams would dream of having a guy like a Reuben Tejada. I dream of having. Uh, for breakfast, whatever Terry had that day, because uh, his glass is more than half full. It's spilling over. To me, Ruben Todd is an eight-hitter in the National League. Uh, that's what he'll be for his career. He's a nice defensive player. He's a decent athlete. He's a good player. Is he a difference maker? No. Is he got to hang your hat on moving forward? No. Do I think he'll end up being a bust that Ordonez was? I don't. However, he's not the defensive player that Ordonez was, uh, was either, even though despite the fact that Ray never hit for this ball club, So, I like Tejada, but to me, he's not a guy I think that will really determine one way or another how the Mets do moving forward.
2: I totally agree with you on that because Rupert Tejada, from what I've seen from him since he's been up in the the league, is that he defensively he is a good player, but as far as you know, you're looking for that power and that big hit. It, it's a matter of question whether or not he'll deliver when you need it. But I mean, unfortunately, the guy's injured, but he's still a young developing player, and I still think the guy's got a lot of potential to help for the New York Metropolitans.
1: I think the problem is, is that he is not Jose Reyes, and I think fans no. and you know people that covered the team and you know I I just think the you know the expectation that Ruben Tejada is going to be Jose Reyes. I think it's just a little silly. What do you think about that, Casey?
0: Yeah, you know, look, uh, they should have kept Jose. They made a big mistake. The Mets decided that they were going to play hardball with him. It's the same mistake they're making with David. To me, Ruben Todd is a guy who's a decent player. He's not going to be a difference maker. You've got to worry more about Ike Davis ever becoming what you think he's going to be. You've got to worry more about the money you spent on Jason Bay. You've got to worry more that you got nice ancillary pieces but no stud, new and heist. Nice ancillary piece, Turner, a bench piece. Uh, you look at some of the Dillon G's of the world, and even with John Neeson and R.I. Dickey, you don't have star players on this team. You had two, now you have one. Let's make sure they don't let this one go in your third baseman.
1: No, absolutely. And I think it comes down to, you know, David Wright. I think the Mets absolutely have to extend him. And I'm not even talking about the start that he is off to, which is he's absolutely playing fabulous right now. But he, here's a guy who is the face of the franchise, and I do expect and hope that the Mets end up signing him. Casey, Casey listen, uh, thanks thanks for having a couple minutes today. I know you got to go, but uh, hopefully I can get you on this show sometime in the near future. John, anytime, Always happy to do it for you guys. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your night, all right? Uh, thanks, Take Casey. Care. Take care. You too. That was Casey Stern from XM Serious Radio. Definitely having a good solid 10 minutes. I think we, we went over some good things in regards to the Mets. You know, it's good to kind of find somebody's foundation. You think of a guy like Howie Rose, you know, a guy like, you know, uh, Gary Cohen, you know Mets announcers who followed the team back as far as they could remember, and you remember hearing you know certain stories about what they did that really got them into the Mets, and you know a guy like Casey Stern who was able to Mets in '84, '85 when they were starting to get good again. I think there's a lot of inspiration in that, and what we really, really mentioned that I, I absolutely would long to see again is the Mets becoming the team of New York. And really, that's what happened from, you know, the mid to late 80s. Unfortunately, for the Yankees and the Yankee fans' perspective, that coincided with the team. You know, the Yankees going through some tough times themselves. Definitely. But really watching to see the way Shea Stadium was in the mid to late 80s is something that I honestly, I, I think about and I just... I honestly, I get these goosebumps thinking about how great it was. And, John, you as a Yankee fan, you get to see that every day. You've pretty much followed that your whole life where the yes. Yankees have been a, per, a perennial team, the top of the league team. Now, you haven't seen them go through some down years. And it's, it's going to happen sometime. Whether course, it, you well, know, it, it may not happen that. this year, but it could happen five, ten years from now. And you know, a guy like Derek Jeter is going to get older. Mariano, you know, whether it's you know next year or the year after, is going to retire, and it's going to be hard to keep the same caliber players that they have right now. The core, you mean? Yeah, absolutely. They're,
2: the core. You see, when they say the core four, that is the whole backbone of that of the Yankee franchise. Pettit, Jeter, Rivera, and Posada were like the backbone of that team because as long as they've been around, all four of those guys have meant something to the Yankee franchise, just like David Wright's going to mean something to the Mets franchise. Now, I, now, I understand like, for, the, for the many years that the Mets have had a lot of down years, and you said it's expected to happen. The, the Yankees, you never know when they're going to have a down year. Now, something I, I had wanted to mention about uh, you know, rebuild like you were talking about Shea Stadium. Here's what I don't understand about Citi Field. It was built in two thousand, opened up in two thousand nine. The walls in that ballpark were the way they were built at that time. Now, over the off season, they brought the walls in. What did not make sense to me was that why in God's creation was not thought of beforehand? And how Jason Bay has been struggling t- terribly since he's been a Met. David Wright had had a down year or two when, during that time. A couple guys on the team had a very rough time adjusting to that ballpark because of the way those walls were built. Now, the media wants to use that as an excuse because of the fact of how some of the players did struggle during the duration of the time where the walls were, not, were, were further out than they are this year. It should have been planned out and thought over the fact that maybe the walls could change some... You know, style like the way the ball, you know, the balls are, get hit like his home runs or whatever. I remember Lucas Duda hit a pair of home runs in City Field opening week. They were saying, "Well, you know, if the walls were at boy, it would have been a double off the wall." Maybe so, but you had you have to think ahead of those things. What do you think?
1: Jeremy? Well, I actually think that Casey answered part of your question because the way it was set up is the Mets had two superstar players: David Wright and Jose Reyes. Jose Reyes was absolutely entering the prime of his career and he still is right now at the time that this stadium was being constructed now name one player that that stadium was absolutely perfect for and it's jose reyes the way the gaps were set up the way the the field was in right field where you know he, it was triples heaven for him the guy had you know 19 triples last year here's here's a guy that was capable of you know, running all over the bases, getting inside the park home runs there. So I think once the construction of the stadium was set, they did have Jose Reyes in mind. Now, whether the Mets, you know, ended up changing their mind, whether it changed with the ownership and the way things went, where the team struggled and they realized they had to go to a different general manager and Sandy Alderson as opposed to Omar Minaya, that may have changed the team or the, the thoughts of what the team was going to be for the future. But I think at the time the stadium was put together, it was to cater to Jose Reyes and honestly to nobody else. This was a guy who was perfect for that stadium and honestly was perfect to be a franchise player of the Mets. And, you know, for whatever reason, the Mets decided to part ways. Now it's time to move on. But the, I think part of the reason that the stadium dimensions were changed was with the intention that the Mets did not have of retaining Jose Reyes. They decided they weren't going to re-sign him, as I mentioned, as Casey mentioned, as you agree with, that the Mets had no intention to bring back Jose Reyes. Once that decision was made, became the talk about changing the dimensions of the stadium, bringing the outfield walls in, and making it more favorable to hitters as opposed to what it was before.
2: So you're telling me that it was all based on Jose Reyes and his his well-being, either whether he was going to be a Mets, or not? Is no, that no. It, w- it
1: wasn't based on whether he was going to be a Met or not, but it, the stadium was made to cater to Jose Reyes. Now, at the time, I don't think there was any doubts that the Met, that Jose Reyes was going to be a Met for the for the future. I, I think at that time they weren't thinking about just picking up Jose Reyes' option and waiting him out to be a free agent. The thought was that this guy was going to be a fixture in this team. This team was going to continue to win ball games, which it definitely did not do. Now. It, you know, I think winning and losing has a lot to do with things. If the Mets continued to win, if they were winning NL East titles instead of the Phillies, then we wouldn't be talking about you know Jose Reyes reaching his free agent year. David Wright would be extended already. This team would be hanging more banners. This team would be advancing further into the postseason. But it's not, and because of that, the cha- there is cha- a change of plans. I don't think the Mets created City Field 100 percent solely for Jose Reyes. Certainly not. But a lot of the configurations of the dimensions were perfect for what Jose Reyes does best, and that's hit the ball into the gaps, get get on base, make a single into a double, and those, those are things that certainly cater to Jose Reyes, and that was considered when the dimensions for the stadium were or originally put together. Now, obviously, the changing of the dimension, dimensions coincidentally or ironically coincide with Reyes leaving the Mets. Now I don't I don't think that's a bunch of jibber jabber. They ended up changing the dimensions after they decided that Jose Reyes was not going to be part of the team. They did want to cater to guys like David Wright, who hits a lot of fly balls to right field. A guy like Jason Bay, who has been clueless in his two years oh, with you the got Mets. That
2: right, third season now.
1: Yeah, now you know two plus years because he really hasn't done been around much this He's year. Done squat, but. The bottom line is they want to cater to the players that they have, and that had a lot to do with the changing of the dimensions. So Jose Reyes had a lot to do with the stadium being what it was, and Jose Reyes also had a lot to do with the stadium becoming now what it is. I mean, you know, City
2: Field will be the way it is. No, There shouldn't be any changes from this point on. But here's here's an, something else I, I wanted to bring up, and I want to get your thoughts on it, okay? okay. Shoot. The other day, I had listened to Mike Francesa on Sports Radio sixty six WFAN, and I was listening to him, and they were talking about the Yanks how on the Yankees how the corner infielders were not producing as consistent as they should. Okay, and obviously we know what's happening. We know that you know last night they broke up. But besides last night, then another fan I called up and said. Oh, well, you know, what about Russell Martin? So Mike turns around and goes, well, he's not a corner infielder. So the fans are like, oh, I'm, not, I'm aware of that, but, you know, he's not hitting. What should they do? So on and such forth. So then Mike Francesa, of course, presses the hang-up button and says, well, there's not that many good hitting catchers. Two things popped into my head. One, I can name at least a handful of good catchers that I can hit out there. And two, you can never answer the guy's question, okay? What they should do with Russell Martin since he's, he wants a contract Okay, this year he's batting at least all, nowhere near two hundred. He's batting one seventy something. Okay, and then and then, from what I heard, when he was in Los Angeles, he has an attitude problem, and that's quite obvious. Now, here's here's the catches off the top of my head that I thought that up to this year that are around the league that it can hit. Okay, Jonathan Lukoia of the Milwaukee Brewers, Alex Avila of the Detroit Tigers, Yadam Rolina of the St. Louis Cardinals. John Buck of the of the Miami Marlins if he stays healthy
1: I'm not sold on John Buck. I actually put Buck kind of in the same category as Martin. I okay. mean I mean he he he's 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 a 220 to 240 hitter. He has some power. He'll put up numbers similar to what Martin did last year. But I don't think he's keeping up with the other guys. Other guys that are you know, interesting, obviously, Brian McCann, Brian McCann, Ar- Ar- McCann. And Sabia. Aaron I Sabia. I think the is probably in the same category as a buck. He's been a, a highly touted prospect for a while, and he really hasn't had the breakout season yet. And Matt I think, about-
2: Matt well, Wieters. Actually,
1: Wieters is going to be a star. I agree with Wieters. Wieters.
2: He's a good and catcher. So right there, they're seven. So I'm saying, what is Mike Francesa talking about? you got seven right there. You could probably name a bunch more if I really want to. Well,
1: here's the question I'll ask, and I'm not not really here to critique anybody else's radio, but when it comes down to Russell Martin being the catcher for the Yankees, I think really the point that may have been mutually tried to touch on by by, both the caller and the show host was, is there a catcher out there that the Yankees could get an upgrade from Russell Martin right now? Now, the guys that you mentioned – Officer, uh, are not going to be obtainable.
2: What about Cervelli?
1: Uh, Cervelli is sitting in the minors right now, and you know it was a roster decision because, because of Chris Stewart. I don't, I'm i not sold on Cervelli being a better catcher than Russell Martin. I think the Yankees are sitting right now on the thoughts that Russell Martin is going to be more of the catcher he was last year and more of the catcher he was in a prime of his career with the, the Dodgers. Dodgers as opposed to what he is right now. But he's not hitting. I, I just I, I don't think i don't think they're in a situation where they could pull the plug. Maybe if they decide to make a decision on Stewart, they may want to bring Cervelli in. Austin Romine, if I am not mistaken, is still hurt right now. He he is, he's, he's in the Yeah, he, he's played. He, he, if he's played, he's played very little because of injury. So he's a guy got in and say, "All right, here is the catcher of our future. Let's go." You know, Henry Sanchez, who is their top catching prospect, is still another year or two away. So my question to you would be: There is there is catchers. Are there catchers out there that could be obtained by the Yankees to be an upgrade from Russell Martin? I know your obvious answer is yes. You know, somebody's going to go in there and hit better than 170. No
2: it's, no, it's not. It's not yes because a lot of the catchers that are around that I had just mentioned were signed to long-term contracts. Now, I don't know, exactly. how, long, I don't know how long Alex Avila is signed with the Detroit Tigers. And he's
1: actually not playing now. well. He's hitting about 220 right now.
2: No, I'm just saying, I'm saying, like, overall, the like, Decent to good hit and catcher range. Actually,
1: two twenty two, five homers, seventeen RBIs right now. That's and, and that's you know for a guy who had a big year like he did last year, that?
2: four home runs and ten RBIs. Right. Listen, 178? listen,
1: he's 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 not getting the job done, and and, and that's something we agree on. But the the point that I'm making is that you know you mentioned a guy like Avila, you mentioned some of the other guys, Aaron Sabia, McCann, Matt Wieters. Listen, the Yankees aren't prying those guys away. Those guys are going to be with their respective teams for a long time. I just don't see an answer right now of whether they're going to trade for somebody. You, you suggest use Francisco Cervelli. To me, for San Francisco Cervelli's best spot is to be a backup catcher. He's the guy that has a little occasional pop, he can handle some pitchers well, but he gets exposed when he's out there every day. And if you look at Cervelli over the past two seasons, he has gotten exposed when he's been exposed to extended playing time, and that's one thing that you know that, that's held him back. That's why the Yankees felt like they were flexible to a point where they could send him to the minors because he had options. Exactly.
2: they had to send down to Valley because it's something Yeah, because, uh, be, yeah,
1: because uh, Stewart didn't have any more options. They, to claim him on waivers, they had to either keep him on a roster or designate him for assignment, you know, you're not going to pick up a guy for waivers and drop him off your yeah, 40-man roster you right away. That. I mean, that's not a baseball decision. If you're, if you're interested in a guy, you're going to bring him in or you're not. So if the Yankees were interested in him, they were going to make the move. So that's, that's why you know, Cervelli was expendable. The future catcher of the Yankees is, is, uh, is Henry Sanchez. The guy that is playing in Double A right now. He's the guy that really has the tools to be a major league hitter. He's he's refining himself as a catcher, which is the you know the issue the Yankees have as far as promoting him to AAA A right now. Austin Romine is is definitely a defensive catcher. He has the ability to be a good all around catcher. He's working on the other side of his game. He's becoming a better hitter. So the Yankees right now don't have internal options. It's hard to where you know if if they're going to release Russell Martin, which they can. He's only under contract with them for the rest of the season. But if they do that, they don't have anybody in house to make the, you know, to make the, the, play the day like he's been doing. Yeah, and, and and Austin Romine is better off number one staying healthy, which he hasn't been able to do in AAA this year, and number two playing every day in AAA. You know, a guy like Sanchez needs to refine himself as a catcher. He needs to become a better a better catcher. You know, a guy like Jorge Posada. You know, came up to the Yankees. He wasn't really the best defensive lucky. catcher. You know, we he got, got he got the chance to be tutored by a guy like Joe Girardi, who everybody says that, you know, they, they hate each other. But Joe Girardi actually did a lot to make, uh, Jorge Posada, the defensive catcher that he is. If it wasn't for Joe Girardi, Jorge Posada may, may be a DH or a first baseman within his first five years in a big he's league. He's first baseman, though. By trade, but you know what? He would, have been, he would have been switched there because he wouldn't have cut it as a catcher. He became a good defensive catcher because of Joe Girardi.
2: You're right. I You know what? To a certain extent, you're right upon that. But here's the thing that that, that, that bothers me. Okay. Now, the Yankees want to get to a certain salary cap before – 2013. They want to get down to 189, I believe the number yeah, was. Yeah,
1: that's the, that's the threshold.
2: Salary cap. Okay, or else well, they're also going to pay some sort of tax, like a huge luxury tax or whatever they call it. Okay? So here's the thing you've got Martin's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Swisher's not going to, is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Okay? So now the Yankees are thinking to themselves, you know, this team is aging. You know, you got Jeter. He's going to be – he's 37 years old. Alex Rodriguez is the same age. Okay? you got Andy Pettit, who's probably not going to be back next year. We don't know that. And of course, beside that, retired. So Brian Cashman and the Steinbergs are saying, you know what? We have to go younger. We have to go onto our farm system, give these guys a chance, see what we got. They're somewhat also, at this point, the way I see it, they're in somewhat of a rebuilding stage too because you got all these got all these pitchers right now that sound long-term. Roy Halladay. Cliff Lee, you got King Felix. That's going to be
1: how about CC, which you got right now.
2: CC Sabathia, he's he's no kid either. Mark Teixeira is going to get older. Nick Swisher is thirty years old. Curtis Granderson's young. Gardner's young. But the question is, all these players that are where they are right now, will they be the future? Will Brett Gardner be the future? Will Phil Hughes be the future? We don't know that. Phil Hughes has been up and down this year. He had a better start last turn out, but every time he comes in, the guy gives up a home run. My own opinion of it is is that consistency is key. You don't hit, you don't win. And speaking of which, every single time, I, I don't know if it's every network across the country, or it's just your New York networks, I notice that whenever a batter comes up, you know, you know, let's say, perfect example, A-Rod came up with the bases loaded the other night, okay? And they walk Cano intentionally. Two things. I know why they walk Cano, because Cano's more of a threat, and they can get to A-Rod. Two, is that a-Rod, a- A-Rod, to me, you can get him out. He's not hard to get out. And the point I'm trying to make is, is that, you know, you gotta, they have to go young. They have to go well, young. Well,
1: listen, the bottom line is the Yankees eventually, listen, you, you know nothing lasts forever. I mean, no. you look at all the dynasties in the history of professional sports, not just baseball, but there's never a team that's just going to go on for years and years and years. And, unfortunately, Yankee fans, when they get stuck you know, thinking about the history of the team, they benefited. You know, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, because there was no baseball draft. The best players in the game wanted to play for the Yankees, so they just went out and signed them. Now it's a different. It was a different age back then. It, things were different. Right now, you got you got to develop players in your farm system. Now I, I I can't tell you how any of these guys are going to do. I actually think Phil Hughes is actually on his way up. He's going to have a full season this year. I think you take a look at to 2012 Phil Hughes after it's over, and you judge where he's going to be for the future. Now, they do have some young pitchers in the minors, like Dylan Betances and Manny Benuelos. Those are guys who are are going to have a track to the major league soon. They're pitching in A now. They've struggled a little bit, but eventually they're going to make their way into the big league rotation. You don't know what you're going to get out of them yet. You could have the highest touted prospects in the world and you still play in a law of averages when they make the major leagues. There's nobody that's guaranteed. You know, a guy like A Rod, who was drafted by the Mariners, was really probably the closest thing to a sure thing when he was drafted. Definitely. You know, and a guy like, you know, Josh Hamilton, as great as he has become now, he was the number one overall pick by the Tampa Bay Rays, and he ended up being out of the league for four years. He was in Cincinnati so so you know started he started with he had, Reds. No, he was drafted by the Rays. He, he made his debut with the for Reds. His first year, but yeah, yeah. what ended up happening is here's a guy who ended up having his, you know, his drug problems, was out of the game for four years, was traded to the Cincinnati Reds, made his debut, and actually didn't become the star that he is now he until, he, until he went to the Texas Rangers.
2: He had 19 home runs. I mean, runs.
1: so, yeah. you know, you, a guy that's drafted number one overall, a guy that's as highly touted as a Josh Hamilton, you cannot predict that he's going to go through what he went through. So, as good of a player is, you still don't know what their path is going to be to the major leagues and whether or not they're going to be, you're going to be able to pencil them in to be the, you know, starting player for the next, you know, 10, 15 years. A guy like Robinson Cano, as much of a prospect as he was, there were still some doubts. There were still some times where the Yankees considered trading him. There were still some times where the Yankees were like, all right, what kind of big player can we get? for Robinson Cano. Well, listen, they ended up making a good decision by keeping him. And sometimes you're going to make a decision like that, and you'll get a guy like you know Alfonso Soriano, who ends up not making it with them, ends up having his best year somewhere else. But that's the way things work out. You don't really know how your team's going to be year to year, and that's why there's so much parity in the game. That's why a team like the Kansas City Royals could end up having a dynasty that we don't even know about yet because – you, you, you work and you build a farm system, sometimes it clicks, sometimes it doesn't. You, know, don't, you can't tell me that the Pittsburgh Pirates over the last 10, 15 years haven't been trying They've been they've they been getting top draft picks of every year because the team has been so bad. So they they're the ones that are actually making making the bad decisions, the bad investments in their in their draft picks. They're not going into the boardroom on draft day saying let's let's draft the crappiest player out there and let's just not be good. They're trying to get the best player. They're trying to pencil them in for where they they are going to be for the next couple of years. They want to draft the next future star. They wanted Pedro Alvarez when he was drafted number four about two three years ago to be the next big thing. But unfortunately, so unfortunately, it hasn't turned out that way. Every team is trying to get better. And, what about and,
2: Xavier Paul? Is, uh,
1: listen, Xavier Paul is not – to me, he's not an everyday player. If he is, he could maybe have a ceiling of being a Brett Gardner type as far as, far as being able to get out base. Catcher? Uh their catcher? Their catcher is they actually got Rod Barajas now and they, uh, Jeez, you know, Michael dweller. McKendry, who's, guy who, who's a career backup. But, um, you know, looking, looking back at the Pirates, really their top players, obviously the center fielder McCutcheon, who they just extended long-term for the next six years. I think that's going to be a good move with them. But, you know, they do have some very good young players. Alvarez still can reach his ceiling. I don't think they've given up on him yet. He's only been around for like two you know, years. Neil Walker has stepped in and become a very admirable second baseman. You know, Nate
2: McLeod. But he see, but he's been. He was one that he was on the Pirates, and he was more of, he's
1: more of a role player right now. He's not. He's not an everyday player. He's got some pop. Actually, their regular left fielder right now is Jose Tabata, a guy who came out of the Yankees farm system. Tabata, uh, uh, whatever I, you know what I'm saying, but <laughs> but uh, the you. bottom line with uh, Tabata is he's a guy that I was actually acquired from the Yankees in a Xavier Nady trade, and hey. and he, here's a guy that could be all right, but he's still we still don't know exactly where he's going to be yet.
2: See the Oakland A's are just. A, you See, here's the thing about the Oakland A's. I respect Billy Bean and what he's done with that ball club, and he knows how to scout. Excellent, he's excellent for that team. But I was, you know, I was talking to my father on the phone earlier, and I was like, "Listen, the Oakland A's are not going to expect to go in. They have They keep giving their players away. That guy that that got that, got that uh, Spanish outfielder, Yoenis Cespedes, and so far he seems to be doing pretty well for them.
1: Yeah, he wasn't a bad signing. I actually think that." The, the A's who I think we all thought were out of their minds when it, they signed them, considering the direction that they're going in, might actually be able to use Cespedes to be a guy that is they could build around. I mean, they got some young pitchers in the trades of Gio Gonzalez and uh, what do you call it, uh, Cahill and Bailey. And listen, I, I'm not I'm not totally sold on this Moneyball thing. I actually think it's extremely overrated. If, oh, you, if mo- you you see you, the movie, yeah, listen, the movie. Unfortunately, you know, if you fo- if you followed the okay. run of it you know it, it's hard to, it's hard to follow you know something that you followed firsthand you know you can't make a movie that's the exact same thing so I, i'm not i don't even care about the movie but the bottom line is moneyball is something that worked in the early part of the 2000s, you know why? Because they had good players. Because the times that the A's were making the playoffs every year, they had Miguel Tejada in his prime. Johnny they, Damon. they, they had Eric Chavez in his time. They had Jason Giambi. Johnny they had, Damon too. Yeah, they had him for one, had one, year. But they had, you know, they had Zito and Mulder and A's Hudson. Housen. I mean, they, they had players. You can't say that the, you know, money ball works. Money ball. You know the biggest example of Moneyball working was using Scott Hattieberg as your everyday first baseman with Jason Giambi. You know when Jason Giambi left, that only worked for one year. Once Tejada was gone, once the other guy, the, the other pitchers were gone, they ended up they ended up falling off the face of the earth. Look at where the A's are now. Are You telling me that Moneyball is working? It's not. All all these young players that they're they end they end up bringing in a guy like Gio Gonzalez develops and they trade him. For for what? To back the team up another five years? That's all they're doing. Moneyball is garbage. Forget about it. I, I, honestly, I don't even want to talk about Moneyball anymore.
2: <laughs> uh, you know what? You make a very valid point because the Oakland A's, like I said, you keep giving away players because you can't afford to pay them. But how do you expect to win? You've got all these excellent prospects coming up through your, through your farm system. But you keep giving them away. Now, here's the thing: the Oakland Athletics want to move out of they want to move out of that ballpark because the attendance rates are garbage, from what I've seen. Well, why would you want
1: to go there? If you're, if you're an Oakland A's fan, why would you want to go, number one, for a from a, a lousy stadium? Number two, a team that's showing no interest in winning. A, a team that has Gio Gonzalez entering the prime of his career, and they trade him away. And have you seen what Gio Gonzalez has done this year? A lot. Uh, Gio Gonzalez is, no, no doubt, an ace for the Washington Nationals. He's number two starter. But he, 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 is, he is number one right now. I, I mean, I don't care what you say. Strasburg is good. But Gio Gonzalez has taken a hold of that pitching staff. He is the veteran leader of that staff. They know that if everybody else is struggling on that team, they could count on Gio Gonzalez to go out there and pitch seven innings for him. So Gio Gonzalez is, is the ace of that staff. But he has is, he is single-handedly been the bridge from the Nationals being a subpar team to a legitimate contender. They're hanging around in first place, alternating with the Braves right now. They would not be where they are if they did not acquire Gio Gonzalez. Considering everything that's going on with the offensive players of that team, from the injuries to Worth and Michael Morse and Wilson Ramos and Zimmerman being out for a little while. Everything that's happened he's with their offense. Now, he? Yeah, he's back now. But for all the injuries that they had, they need the stability that, that Gio Gonzalez has provided for him. They, did not, they have not had a pitcher like that. So if you picture Gio Gonzalez with the Oakland Athletics, I guarantee that's a team that's better than it is right now, even though they're hanging around 500.
2: Well, so far, also we forgot about Adam LaRoche, who's been actually pretty good for them, too. He's not a
1: bad player. I mean, I don't look at him as a guy you build a team around, but he's a useful player. He's a veteran. He's been around Howard a while. He's, he's a guy that knows what he's doing at the plate. He, he's ha- he had a couple of years where he was hitting 240, 250, but has really put it together where he's a very good opposite field hitter. He has some sneaky power. You're not going to be able to blow an inside fastball by him. And he's a very good leader on the team. I thought even when he was with the Pirates the last couple of years, he, was a he, provi- yeah, he provided some leadership for the Pirates that they didn't really have before that. So it, LaRoche is a good player to have. Unfortunately, this is a team that's having some problems now because of the amount of injuries. I mean, they're not going to have Jason Worth for about three months. You know, Wilson Ramos is out for the season what, you know, what injury uh, uh, uh acl I and, guess it's more, yeah. and and what happened to worth is he actually got hurt in philadelphia Stressed. he broke his wrist but you know having having michael morse who is still yet to play a game for them this year he's a guy who hit 30 home runs last year was coming into his own this is a team that has nothing in the middle of their lineup they got their superstar zimmerman who certainly is a good player certainly is the leader of that team been but what do they what do they have other than Zimmerman? You know, you're going to put LaRoche in back of them. Where's the rest of the lineup? Are you telling me that Ian Desmond and Danny Espinoza are going to be able to pick up the slack? No. No. And unfortunately, this is a team that really doesn't have a shelf life for being able to stick around in this division. And I will tell you this the Washington Nationals, by the time August and September comes, and this isn't what's going to happen in the future, but this is this year, they're going to be off the face of the earth. They're not going to be competitive. They're. The bottom line is, even if they are competitive, what's going to happen in September when we talk about Steven Stroudsburg hitting his innings limit? Are you going to tell me a guy that, you know, is on a 150, 160 innings, you know, innings cap? So who's winning the division in National League? Uh, Listen, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be close. I like the Marlins. I hate them as a team. But I I like I like the construction of that team. I think they're good. I think they have what it takes. The Braves have actually bounced back from their September collapse. I don't think that's on their mind anymore, and I think they're going to be able to compete all season. I do see the Phillies getting better, though. The more that they struggle right now, the more doubts I'm starting to have as far as them being able to stick in there. I listen. I like the Mets because I'm a fan. But listen, when it comes down to September and October. I just I can't see them unless they make a major upgrade around the trading deadline to be able to compete with the other teams in a league, let alone their own division.
2: I agree with you on that too, because the National League East had been had been rated by the critics one of the weakest divisions of baseball. Why? Because because of because of like. But now, sorry, it's gotten uh, a
1: lot stronger. It's
2: gotten a lot stronger. But the reason why they call the weakest division of baseball because look at all the weaknesses all the teams had prior to, you know, the past couple of years. Now, people the contenders you know the contenders I see. In uh, you know August to September, is the Braves, the Marlins, and that's it. Philadelphia to me, no matter how great pitching they have, Ryan Howard is due to come back. We know that. You don't know what you're going to get out of him. Chase Utley has arthritis in his knees. He may not be back for the whole year. He may have to retire. Okay. So after Ryan Howard and Hunter Pence, who you got in there? All right, Victorino, you can get him out. Polanco, you can get him out. Ruiz, maybe you can get him out. Okay. All these other uh, – Ty, what, Ty Wiginton? Uh I don't well, know. Well, listen,
1: here, here's the way I'm going to look at it. The Phillies have won the National League East five years in a row, and I stay by the statement all the time. They're the team to beat until they're taken out. Now, you know, looking from, like, let's say the Yankees for a second, they're, they're a team that's either winning their division or finishing second place in the American League East. Correct. Uh, you know, every year, I think, except for a one, uh, Girardi's first year when they missed the playoffs. But this is a team that's expected to be in the postseason every year. The Yankees may be struggling now. But nobody expects them to not be in it exactly. until they You're fall right. on their face. Yes. I understand, you know, you, know, Yan- you know, Yankees should be concerned about their play now and not being up at the top of their division, but they're considered to be in it until they're not in it. The same thing I say to the Phillies. The Phillies, yes, they're not running away with the National League East like they have in past years, but I'm not going to rule them out until the second half of the season when they're, you know, 10, 15 games under 500. I'm not going to do it. They're, they're too good of a team. Honestly, Holiday and Lee, along with Cole Hamels, who's on his contract year, are still uh, no, three of uh, the top. No, he signed
2: a two-year deal. What, Hamels what, signed a two-year contract. What, today? No, he signed a two-year contract uh, in the beginning of the season.
1: No, he didn't. He's, he's, a free agent. He's, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Look it up, trust me. I'm, I am I don't mean to be harsh, but he's a free agent at the end of the season. But uh, Ham Hamels off of his uh, off of his contract year is going to probably put up a big year. I think there's some questions about Halliday and his you know his, his velocity being down a little bit. Cliff Lee was hurt for a little while, but I still think they bring a top you know top three man rotation that really a lot of teams don't have and they're going to rely on their pitching which they have to win any games that they have to this point i gotcha and really what you know what's going on obviously they have no offense you know nobody has stepped in to replace howard or utley and guys like victorino and rollins and you know really their best offensive player this year has been carlos ruiz Hunter pence yeah i mean Hunter pence is their best all-around player but ruiz performance wise has really been their most consistent hitter now Looking back, yeah, I like the Papelbon signing. I don't like it four years from now, but I do like it right now because they've made their bullpen better. But I think the leadership of some of the other players, a Rollins, a Victorino, Holiday, and Lee, the guys that have been around for a while, are going to keep this team in it. I don't see this team being a last-place team all year. And I think until they've been dethroned, which they haven't been yet, they're, they are considered a team to beat in the National League East, similarly to the way I I consider the Atlanta Braves the team to beat until they were dethroned. They won all those consecutive division titles since the NLEs be, you know, went into existence until the Mets won in 2006. All those years the Braves won until they were officially eliminated. They were considered a team with the best chance of winning that division, and I feel the same way about the Phillies right now.
2: See, but here's the thing, okay? You look at the Phillies' downfalls. Even Halladay, Doc Halladay, the man, the best, one of the best in the game over the, over the span of how many years, okay, is slumping. He has an ERA in the three ranges. When in God's name we see I haven't seen Halladay in the three range, and I can't remember.
1: Yeah, he's usually about two, two and a in quarter, two and a half guys. He's
2: always in the twos. Yeah. So now you've got Verlander coming on the rise. You've got other pitchers that are going to be toe to toe with that guy, okay? So now I'm looking at how they is like, well, the Phillies against a good offensive team in the World Series would possibly be toast. If you put them against the Detroit Tigers or the Texas Rangers or the, Ana- and the Angels, well, eh, listen, you know you, don't know, you know
1: what though? That's the Phillies right now, and you also have to factor the other teams in, you know, the other teams where they are right now too. I mean, the Phillies, listen, if the Phillies are the the toast of the National League and they end up winning the National League pennant, I bet you're going to feel a lot better about them than you do now because something's going to have to happen to make you change that. You know, either, either Halliday is going to become Halliday of of old or somebody's going to emerge offensively because this team can't, can't score any runs right now.
2: Unfortunately you, not. You,
1: you know, something's going to have to change. Obviously, they're not getting to the World Series, you know, being a couple games under five hundred, scoring two, three runs a game and, you know, have, having, you know, inconsistent starting pitching.
2: You saw what happened Something, last year. Yes,
1: yeah, something's going to have to change. So I think once that changes, your opinion as well as mine and a lot of other people will change because... Number one, they'll be winning. Two, something will happen that you're going to point to to say is the reason that they're winning. They're not going to just win a bunch of you know, two-to-one games over the course of the rest of the season. So I think the Phillies, you know, player to player, have a talented roster, have the ability to compete. Unfortunately, the Howard and Utley injuries have you know, kept them back from where they really need to be right now. But you know, if, if they end up finding themselves, something's going to happen to change. And I don't know what that is. I can't tell you if you know Ryan Howard's going to come in and you know become the power hitter he was in the, you know when he signed that long-term extension. But something's going to happen to make you change your mind and me change my mind once we all buy into the Phillies being good again. Right now, it hasn't happened. Unfortunately, we got to look at all we can look at now is what's the past record, been. And right now, the Phillies are our last place team you know, no matter what anybody says, you at know, the, the point, Mets, the Mets are four games over 500. The Phillies are under 500 and, and, you know, unfortunately something's going to have to change to make the Phillies better. I don't know what that is right now is can Halliday at his age right now, carry the team on his back. Like he did in his absolute best. I don't know.
2: It's a matter of, it's a matter of, you know,
1: he's going to have to go on a run again. He's not pitching, you know, he's been very hittable. He has not been as dominant as he was over the past couple of years but something's gonna to have to happen. Do you explore the trade market if you're the Phillies? Are you if you're Ruben Amaro, do you say, Listen, I need to get a, you know, bona fide, you know, superstar left fielder? I don't know. Do you, do you do you say, hey, I have to go get Kevin Youkilis from the Red Sox. I really don't I really,
2: yeah, don't, got I really
1: don't know what the answer is as far as them being competitive. One thing I do wanna mention that's very interesting is Ruben Amaro was actually Interviewed maybe a couple of weeks ago, and he didn 't leave out the possibility of the Phillies being sellers at the trade deadline
2: I know he said that he wants to make changes. and, and, and he
1: said, he says listen the team isn 't where it needs to be now he doesn 't know where the team 's going to be in July, but he hasn 't ruled out the possibility of maybe trading a guy like a Shane Victorino or something and you know end up trying to you know boosting up the farm system so that 's a possibility listen well, i don 't know what 's going to happen from now to then. The Mets could be you know thirty games under five hundred. By, you know, July 31st right now, it's hard to really tell because there's so many stories going on in baseball that, you know, none of us can really put a reason to why it's happening. You know, compared what's going on with the Baltimore Orioles right now, they're at first place in the American League East. I know the initial reaction of that is, oh, give them another month. They'll be gone. You don't know that until that month happens. The Orioles have actually gotten some very good starting pitching. Their starting pitching is as good as it's been probably in about ten years. years. You know, Jason Hamill has come over and been a legitimate ace. How long was he on the Rockies before you come over? It was it was about a year and a half. Because he, he originally came up with the Rays, and he was he was actually a very highly touted prospect for the Rays. They traded him to the Rockies when he struggled, and he's really come into his own now. The guy uh, Chen that they signed, you know, the, the the Korean pitcher, has actually done a very good job for them Wh- too. Which team? Uh, the Orioles. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's really the been lefty. Their, yeah, he's a left-hander. he's, he's been their no, their number two starter, and they, they've gotten very good relief. Jim Johnson's a very good closer. Lynch, Matt Lindstrom, a guy who came out of the Mets farm system has actually had a very good season All these them.
2: prospects. And, and, and
1: you know what? One thing I want to give credit to, and here's a reason why I really, I really think that the Orioles are better than they were, let's say, like five years ago. I don't know if you remember when they had to run under. I, it might have been longer than that, when Lee Mazzilli was the manager. And they got off to a fl- fast start. They were in first place for you know the first couple months of the season, and they faded as the year goes along. I think it has a lot to do with what's going to happen now is their manager. Buck Showalter has got them biting into his system. They, you know, this is, a, this is a team that is Buck Showalter's team now. It yes, took, it, it is. It took a little while from when he took over as manager. A guy like Adam Jones, a guy like Nick Marcakis, a guy like Matt Wieters, those are really their three top stars that they have right now on the rise, and they've all bought into Buck's system. And Buck Showalter, from what he did with the Yankees, which I think he deserves a lot more credit from their World Series championship than he gets – you know, from what he did in Arizona, as he built that team up. Who, Showalter? Walter. Yeah, he he was their manager up until you know the year before they won the World Series in two thousand one.
2: And right now, Kirk Gibson's their manager. Yeah,
1: and okay. you know, really for what's happened with Buck, he's had a track record for building teams up and getting them better. He's done a good job. So, so that's far. that's why. Listen, I'm not saying the Orioles are a playoff team. I can't make that decision right now. You don't now. know yet. I really don't know, but I'm also going to say that I doubt that this team will fall on its face and become a second-division club in the second half of the season. I think this team can win 85 games. I think this team can definitely finish 500 you know, to finish the season. And where does that put them? I don't know. Uh, you gotta, you get, you know. Really, to say whether the Orioles are a playoff team or not, I think you've got to tell me where the Tigers are in September, where the Angels are in September, where the Rays and the Yankees are in September. It's going to be interesting. Where, where are the Red Sox in September? There's a lot of factors that we don't really know yet. But I really think that the Orioles have every bit of a chance to compete with these other teams based on what they've built overall, because this is not the 2008 Baltimore Orioles.
2: No, it's not. Here's another thing. Now, speaking of which, how you mentioned what we don't know. Okay. Uh, What I do know is that whenever I'm watching the Yankees on the yes network, or whenever I'm watching the Mets on SMY. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Whenever I watch the games, I don't know if it's every network across the country or just ours. Whenever we watch games or whenever I've watched plenty of games, they come up with these they have a statistic for everything. And the one thing that I don't understand is how could they turn around and say, Oh well, you know, career let's say Robinson Cano is two ninety seven against, you know, this certain pitcher. He has six home runs, and he's 15 for 20 or whatever it is off David Price or whatever. If the pitcher makes his pitch, you're not going to hit it. It's as simple as can be. I don't really like to go by those stats because you never know on any given day of what can occur. He can strike out. He can hit a home run. He can pop the ball up. He can win the game. We yeah, don't know listen, that.
1: Listen, David Price can hang a curveball too. You, you, it, you it happens. It <laughs> know.
2: It's like, oh, he's 300 with, the, you know, with this loaded. Oh, you know, A-Rod's great with the bases loaded. He can pop the ball up. He could hit a grand slam. He could hit a single. He can hit a foul ball. You don't know. I mean, those statistics to me are irrelevant to a certain extent because of the fact that the pitcher is going to make his pitch or he's not. And sometimes he, here's the problem with Joe Girardi Joe Girardi likes to go by, quote unquote, by the book. Okay? I don't agree with some of the things he does because A, he leaves pitchers in too long, and B, he tries to do certain matchups. Like I remember on opening day. When CC Sabathia matched up with Carlos Payne,
1: yeah, I remember that too.
2: I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming because the bases were loaded, and he's got good career numbers off Sabathia. But, but Sabathia committed his pitch, strike three, inning over. But I mean,
1: listen, you got to believe in your pitcher. And the bottom line is, I mean, you got a guy like CC Sabathia on the mound. If you're Joe Girardi, I think you know you could question the move to load the bases for him in that spot. Maybe it was too. Early first game of the season Definitely to do that, and, and I agree with you on that. But at the same time, you got your best pitcher on the mound, and like you just mentioned, if CC Sabathia makes his pitch, he's getting the, Carlos painting out, and that's and, and, that's, a and that's and that's a fact.
2: And let the fastball
1: up in the zone. And listen, I, I understand. You know, maybe micromanaging a little bit around like a Phil Hughes or you know, somebody else in a rotation that isn't as highly touted. But CeCe Sabathia is the guy making the millions to be the ace, to be one of the top pitchers in a league, and he really is. Definitely. Now, you know if, if Joe Girardi decides that he trusts CeCe Sabathia against anybody, you can't question that decision in itself. Maybe the timing, listen, first game of the season, you don't want to be micromanaging in the first inning of the first game of the season. I totally feel, You know, I agree with you 100% on that. But the bottom line is, if CC Sabathia makes the pitch to Carlos Pena, he's striking out. He's not hitting a grand slam.
2: Exactly. And the thing that bothers—here's the thing. Another something else that bothers me with George does, when it comes down to DHing, okay? You DH Derek Jeter on game two of the season. First of all, I understand when it, it's you know these guys are getting older; it's understandable. I, but but at the same time, you know. These guys are fresh out of spring training, had an off season. had this, had that, everything. They're all good to go. You don't know DH guys in May, all right? This, I understand they're older, but I don't want to hear that because there's plenty of guys. Uh, Jim Tomey, that's still playing the field, okay? And he's, well, not playing every day, but he's still playing it pretty, pretty, you know, f- fair. You know, he's still playing it. Like at least forty percent of the time.
1: Well, he's playing. He's playing the field for the first time in like ten years too.
2: I understand that. You're right. He's been DHing a lot. So,
1: but listen, a lot of a lot of great points, man. And I appreciate you having a couple minutes to step in the studio with me today. Hopefully, uh, I could get you back on there. This is John Mayo. Yeah, you know, hopefully, you guys enjoyed what you heard today. past Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. I want to thank Casey Stern for having a couple minutes today. Next week, I'll have WFAN and SNY host Mark Malusis on. I uh, hope to see you at end. Passball Show MTR Radio Network. Good night, everybody. Catch you next time.
0: Take care.